Hi, it's Gillian here from Irish Funds. Today we are bringing you the first episode in our series of recordings from the Irish Funds 10th Annual UK Symposium, which took place on November 30th in London. This episode features a keynote address from Dervil Rowland, Deputy Governor at the Central Bank of Ireland. As Deputy Governor at the Central Bank, Dervil is responsible for consumer and investor protection, overseeing retail conduct, securities and market supervision, as well as oversight of anti-money laundering, financial sanctions and enforcement. In this keynote address, Dervil provides an update on the key priorities for the Central Bank over the coming year in 2024. She focuses her discussion on the opportunities there are for enhancing the resilience of financial markets and further developing European capital markets. We hope you enjoy this episode and be sure to keep an eye out for further podcasts in the UK Symposium coming soon. Good morning, everybody, and thank you to Irish Funds for the invitation to address your 10th annual Irish Funds UK Symposium, and I'm really glad to be able uh, to be here with you today. Um, When we were preparing for this event, uh, we were reflecting on all that has changed since the first UK Symposium back in 2013. So, uh, a well-known Greek philosopher, Heraclitus, I'm sure it rolls off the tongue very easily, is uh, credited with saying that the only constant in life is change. And I think sometimes when a simple maxim like that survives for centuries, there probably is a grain of truth in that. But I think it definitely has been true over the past decade. We have seen the global economy shift significantly. Emerging from the financial crisis, and entering a period of sustained recovery. But it's fascinating, low for long interest rates now seems like a distant memory. And we have one of the fastest hiking cycles in history and an uncertain monetary policy outlook. Technological advancements continue apace and with the emergence of developments like artificial intelligence likely to continue to transform how we conduct our business, and how we go about our daily lives. And of course, we have the challenge that is very real of climate change. These risks are ever uh, present as we look ahead. But the regulatory landscape has changed dramatically over the past 10 years. Enormous work has been done to address the fragilities associated with the global financial crisis through initiatives at domestic, European and international levels. And in this new environment of heightened risk, we're all benefiting from the resilience built up as a result of those changes. So in addition to that, significant steps have been taken in the advancement of a true European Capital Markets Union. But it's absolutely clear that opportunities remain for enhancing the resilience of financial markets and further developing European capital markets. And these are very complementary goals, and that's where I'm going to focus my remarks today. And indeed, as we gather in London for this Irish Fund Symposium, it would be remiss not to recognise how much has changed in the United Kingdom over the past 10 years. Once a driving force within the European Union, the UK is now charting a path outside of the EU. That said, the United Kingdom 
and London in particular, remains a critical part of the global and European financial system. And as such, it is a vital part of the European capital market. No longer as a direct participant of that union, but instead, like other global financial centres, as a link to external sources of capital for the EU. Deep integration with London and the other financial centres should be a critical part of the CMU agenda. Such integration, with the appropriate regulatory safeguards and cooperation, will increase European businesses' access to international capital and further boost European growth. International influence and cooperation is critical to well-integrated financial markets, particularly in an increasingly complex, challenging and uncertain environment. But I think first, it's important to recognise that continued change to EU capital markets is required. Ensuring well-functioning European capital markets is key to unlocking the European private capital necessary to fund Europe's major investment needs. And it's really positive that the Eurogroup of finance ministers has prioritised this issue and is currently undertaking an initiative to agree priorities for enhancing and deepening Europe's capital and financial markets. The Eurogroup is aiming to identify areas of political consensus for the next European Commission to take forward, while at the same time adopting a more bottom-up approach. And that will facilitate the exchange of best practices and engender alignment of action. This work is taking place on an inclusive format, and that means that all of the EU's 27 finance ministers are participating. That's really important if we're going to drive this agenda right across the EU. Other policymakers, central bankers, security regulators, also have a key role to play in this regard, both in terms of identifying and addressing impediments which hamper EU capital markets, but also in terms of building and maintaining an effective regulatory and supervisory framework which supports confidence in the functioning of the financial system and the markets. And notwithstanding that sustained progress since the Commission's first CMU action plan of 2015 has been made, much more remains to be done to address market fragmentation, a real lack of retail participation and an over-reliance on bank funding in Europe. And for that reason, change for all of us will remain a constant over the coming years and should be welcomed. One particular area of change I'd like to focus on today is that of private finance. The span of the term private finance is necessarily broad and intended to capture activities relating to capital raising and lending, generally for corporates by the non-bank investors. And while public markets will continue to be the core driver of CMU activity, private finance has an important role to play. Private finance globally is going through a period of rapid growth, with assets under management reaching approximately 12.8 trillion US dollars in June of 2022. And that's up from 3.5 trillion only in 2012. However, in Europe, while European private equity and early stage equity financing has grown in recent years, the euro area continues to lag significantly behind international pe peers. 
the ECB's second edition of their report on financial integration and structure in the, Euro, in the Euro area outlined that the total Euro area early stage equity financing, including business angel, venture capital and growth equity investments grew from 10.7 billion in 2016 to just under 14 billion in 2020. And venture capital accounted for almost all of the increase and nearly doubled over that period. Nevertheless, the actual gap with the US is widening. Euro area activity was less than 5% of US venture capital. So globally, the scale of private financing activities varies considerably as we see by jurisdiction. Some industry reports demonstrate that the US accounts for over 54% of the private market assets under management. Asian markets account for 22%, and Europe only accounts for 20%. So there's clearly a growth opportunity and a distance to travel in the European capital markets. And there are real significant economic arguments which support the emergence of private finance supporting the real economy. First, publicly listing a company is expensive and as such is not generally an available option for small or medium-sized enterprise. These costs range from the extensive public disclosure obligations on issuers as part of the IPO uh, process, but also the costs relating to the fees associated with the participants involved, analysts, advisors, brokers, etc. And as a result, private equity may offer a less expensive form of equity-based financing, particularly for smaller companies. Secondly, Reliance on bank funding imposes costs in terms of the increased cost of financing, hampering innovation and reducing resilience in times of stress. Private finance, including direct lending activities by investment funds, offer an alternative to bank funding, which may address these challenges. Reliance on bank funding in Europe has been an acute issue for some time. But remembering the theme of constant change I started with, who would have predicted that the first failure since the global financial crisis of a systemically important bank would have taken place earlier this year? That event and other recent challenges with US banks have pushed banking regulation back on the international regulatory agenda. But those issues also serve as an important reminder to Europe to diversify funding sources and to continue to address the prevalence of bank dominance in this area. So in this regard, I think it's really positive that AIFMD2, on which the EU institutions reached provisional agreement in July, and I think it's anticipated that it will come into force in Q1 of next year, um, brings targeted changes. Um, and I know that the AIFMD now is viewed as largely successful because it has increased transparency of alternative investment funds in Europe. Uh, notwithstanding the challenge uh, when it was initially brought into force, I think it uh, brought 169 obligations on the alternative investment fund managers and that had not been previously regulated at EU level. And I know that can be a shock at the time and we might have some therapeutic dialogue around sustainability uh, disclosures and that agenda in due course. But I think it's been successful 
because it provides a structured, authoritative, credible framework within which businesses can make quality offering and thrive. So now we see it's time to look at that again, because one of the most significant benefits uh, brought to bear there was the EU passport, which was brought under the directive. That has supported the distribution and management of alternative investment funds in the EU, and that has fostered growth in the sector. So the changes that have been agreed upon as part of the AIFMD are appropriately targeted, and I think they're really positive, including new rules to harmonize the rules for funds which undertake lending activity. We were really strong advocates for developing a pan-European framework for loan origination by funds, and we have a long-standing domestic policy framework in Ireland. Uh, we were influential in the drafting, and that domestic framework was our considered attempt to explore solutions to meet the credit needs of the real economy, whilst carefully addressing the issue of financial stability and investor protection. So in due course, given that the proposed EU-level framework incorporates many of the features of the central bank rules, we will align our provisions in the domestic framework with that of AIFMD. And I say that presents a European opportunity for the funds sector to broaden its reach to support CMU. And prior to that change coming into force, another development is underway, which will provide fund managers with an additional option in terms of product development and support capital flows into long-term investments in the European real economy. And of course, I'm talking about the ELTIF regime, and I know you've had a panel uh, on that just before uh, the coffee break. But those long-awaited changes are intended to address what is true to be a very low take-up of the original ELTIF regime in Europe. They'll come into force uh, in January of next year, and there's uh, a beehive of industrious work happening in ESMA and across Europe to make sure that all of the RTSs, ITSs, and all the other accoutrements that uh, make a regulatory framework uh, work, and um, I hope they'll go to board and be passed uh, in uh, ESMA before the end of the year. What is important is that we all take steps uh, to make sure that this works well. And uh, we will make the appropriate uh, changes to the domestic uh, regime in Ireland to take away unnecessary uh, blockers. And these steps, we hope, will make the regulatory approach more efficient. But this is an opportunity, of course, now for retail investors to have greater access to alternative investment strategies and assets. And I'm quite sure experience will tell us that carefully done uh, will be a really effective way of delivering on this opportunity. If designed correctly, sold appropriately, there are many benefits for investors having access to these investments through diversified pooled collective investment funds. And there is a lot more to do on the CMU agenda, including to further increased retail participation and address fragmentation which exists in EU markets. However, regulators and policymakers must in tandem continue to strengthen resilience and address any emerging vulnerabilities. That will allow the industry to work in the near term, the mid term and the long term. There are two areas I'd like to highlight in this regard. As the Financial Stability Board has signalled in their recent G20 letter, 
A major focus of the FSB's policy work next year will be to address financial stability risks associated with non-bank leverage. Now, I'm sure you all know over the last 12 months, the focus of both the FSB and IOSCO has been on investment fund liquidity, with both consulting on updates to the international regulatory framework. That international liquidity work is reaching its conclusion, but national policymakers will need to consider how to implement the outputs of that work. For us in Ireland, that will in the majority be considered at an EU level. But it's unsurprising that the topics of liquidity and leverage will remain a focus in Europe and at the Central Bank of Ireland in the years to come. In particular for us, there's a continued work underway at the moment on liability-driven investment funds, LDIs, uh, with a view to ensuring that the issues we saw arising last year will not occur again. And for the first time, we saw that leverage played a significant role in market events. So part of our work to safeguard resilience, we published a consultation paper on measures to enhance the steady state resilience of Irish authorised sterling denominated LDI funds. But importantly, given the cross-border nature of these funds, we have sought to ensure really good international coordination and cooperation in codifying these measures as exemplified by the fact that the CSSF in Luxembourg is also publishing a similar consultation paper on LDI funds in parallel to our work. That coordination is important to ensure the effectiveness of these measures, and I hope it goes without saying we too have really good coordination with the UK authorities uh, on this and, of course, at European ESMA level. And the second area I'd like to just highlight in uh, terms of potential uh, vulnerabilities relates to sustainable finance disclosures. Uh, fund managers and other participants in European capital markets have a very important role to play in supporting the transition to a more sustainable economy. The challenge climate change represents has become even clearer in the past number of months. And financial markets have a critical role to play in very many ways. I think the finance sector is to the fore of the risks and opportunities that these changes present. So as a result, an ambitious sustainable finance agenda has of course been embarked on by the European Union and others. We have moved from a framework devoid of any real detail um, to a really rapidly advanced legislative and regulatory framework and landscape. As a result, this area is forming an increasingly large part of our work programme and I know yours as well. Uh, and at a European level, uh, ESMA is very focused on this and the Central Bank is focused on this. At ESMA, we are actively taking steps to address potential vulnerabilities, one of which is the disconnect between a fund's name, which is a critical aspect for a retail investor when determining whether or not to invest, and the disclosures required in the EU SFDR. So I think it's fair to anticipate in due course the European Commission will in all likelihood further consider the introduction of a labelling regime for investment products in this area. But that will not happen for some time. And that is something, of course, that we would be supportive of. And closer to home, the central bank has got to make the regimes that we do have work. 
So we are taking our own steps to provide clarity in terms of our own disclosure expectations by holding workshops with industry and having a really effective exchange of views and dialogue on what is required with a view to raising standards and bringing increased clarity for all. And we intend, I imagine, to continue that dialogue over time because this becomes just more and more an area of key importance, particularly to end investors. So, as regulators, we seek to serve the public interest by maintaining monetary and financial stability, while ensuring that the financial system operates in the best interests of investors and consumers and the wider economy. In order to achieve this mission, we're of the view that we have to continue to strengthen the resilience of the financial markets, address areas of potential vulnerability, but be open to opportunity so that the needs of investors and economies are served. We also support other policymakers in identifying and addressing areas of concern for them, issues of fragmentation, are areas that inhibit or hamper the development of deeper capital markets. This is because investor participation in investment products and financial markets has a positive impact on the investor's financial well-being and as a result, overall well-being. And we recognise that you play an important role in that. Thank you.